Columbus time is over. Heavens and welcome into Flipping Out Radio from Stone Harbor, New Jersey, or I should say Stone Harbor. I'm down here at my home away from home. Not talking to you on the telephone, but rather a podcast. And we come to you courtesy of Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I am James Flippin. I'm coming at you solo for this particular venture. And it's an interesting time in the United States of America. We like to call this podcast the most American ever created. So it makes sense to have a discussion and a frank one at that, at least for a little bit, about everything that's going on with relation to um, Charlottesville. You're not very smart and you smoke a lot of pot. From all the relations in this country, the reaction to the president's comments in wake of Charlottesville. Uh, I've had an interesting experience lately where I've been largely good about not commenting on Facebook when it comes to political matters. And it's because before the election even came and went, I had, you know, people who, some very close to me, took very serious issue with the fact that I wasn't virulently anti-Trump. The fact that I in any way was okay with Donald Trump meant that there was a lot of people who were very mad with me. And, you know, I mentioned it, I think, once before on the show that there was somebody who, you know, I really was very close friends with. And uh, by and large, you know, our relationship has been sort of negatively affected by some of the politics. So it's not necessarily anything new for me that I've dealt with this. But It's unfortunate that I allowed myself to get drawn back into some of the Facebook stuff because first and foremost, the really most important thing about everything that's going on with Charlottesville and uh, discussions of race relations and, you know, Antifa and Black Lives Matter and, and President Donald Trump and his response to everything that's going on, you got to realize it's August. There's no Olympics. Football hasn't started yet. Congress is out of session. The president was on vacation. These varying news organizations, and I use that term loosely, news, certainly they're not journalistic. You know, your, your CNNs, your NBC News, your, your ABC, you know, all these different outlets that are desperate for stuff to actually cover and things to make big stories on the TV side most egregiously because they have, you know, airtime to fill they love these racial stories and if you think back to ferguson that was right smack dab at the same amount you know same time same exact time of year was uh ferguson back when that jumped off the mike brown um killing when mike brown was killed by uh, police and all that fell out from that that was in august as well and I remember it was because it was it was when I was down here at Stone Harbor that we spent our entire vacation as a family discussing it and getting into the whole issue of, you know, are police racist? What do we do about police relations? How can we fix this kind of thing? And, and in that way, that's what's interesting about it is it's kind of a double edged sword, because here I'm, I'm obviously sort of like you know, lambasting aspects of the media for 
the fact that they need to fill copies. So they're going to actually go cover this, you know, 500 people. Did you see? That's the thing. Did you realize at the Charlottesville rally on uh, Saturday? What was it? Saturday, the I don't have the, the calendar in front of me. I think it might have been the 12th or the 11th or 13th, something like that. Um, originally, there were 500 people going to this rally and apparently 500 you know white nationalists at this rally so why is it even being made out to be some like big deal you know what i mean like this fringe weird awful you know like hateful group that's meeting to hold signs in the air and do chants and all this kind of stuff and of course when the awful thing happened that did which there's no denying that it was absolutely awful that a woman lost her life as a result of some creep who is so hateful and angry and, and, you know, I guess unable to come to grips with aspects of the world, um, he kills somebody. Then, then it all comes together where it's like this, this, this odd world where they're like, okay, well, we, we told you this would happen. But at the same time, you're to blame for the fact that it did. And what I mean by that is this this awful area, right, where these 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 this awful situation where these hateful people are being allowed to protest to, to march to say their thing. The media then blew it up, or, or various people and power brokers blew it up and wanted to say, hey, go there and resist it. Well, my point is, unless you're doing that in a nonviolent way, and unless you're doing that in some way that's, you know, befitting of the fact that your cause is actually of a higher purpose, which, you know, opposing Nazism, you would say is, you can't go there and then be violent yourself. And we know for a fact that, you know, two different journalists were beaten to hell by uh, Antifa protesters that um, there were people who obviously, you know, people say, oh, it's justified because they're New Age Nazis or whatever. People who were at this white nationalist rally were beat, beaten up, some pretty badly. And then there were obviously absolutely people that the white nationalists beat up very badly. That's where the term violence on both sides comes from. And in terms of the outcry that, like, say, I've received for saying that's absolutely true to say that there was violence on both sides. It's really amazing to me that people get so angry at sort of pointing out that truth when all I'm trying to point out is the violence doesn't solve anything. The righteous indignation to the point where you're going to support violence on somebody that you disagree with definitely doesn't solve anything. But my point is, even if, okay, so they cover this news event, this awful thing happens where, you know, and by the way, also the two police officers who died uh, because they were patrolling the whole incident in in a helicopter. And I mean, that's an awful situation for a cop to be in, because I mean, what are you supposed to do? You know, defend somebody who is, you know, clearly a neo-Nazi or whatever, or let things happen or not or whatever. But at the same time, that's why the whole violence on violence on violence, it doesn't solve anything. 
you know, it's, it's a parable, and I get that. Some people aren't down with that kind of thing. But an eye for an eye, everybody ends up blind. And that's where I don't understand how it's not leadership. I don't understand how it's not presidential to say, you know what? There was bad stuff on both sides that day, and it needs to stop. And anybody who would cling to race as some important, you know, uh, dividing and vital aspect of life or society is off base and frankly a low life. And I'm sorry, I understand that there's people who want to say, you know what, the people that went there on Saturday to Charlottesville, they were uh, members of the Antifa, as they call them, or whatever, whether they're members of Black Lives Matter or Antifa or whatever it may be, there are plenty of people in these, some people use the term alt-left, you could say far-left, there are plenty of people in these openly leftist groups who are very nasty and hateful and advance things that are very similar to stuff in the white nationalist group, just with certain things reversed. And people don't want to hear that. They don't want to acknowledge sort of like the, the nasty aspect of what is known as, again, Antifa or, again, other aspects of Black Lives Matter. And it doesn't mean that there aren't people who would gladly take up protesting arms or whatever it may be, against people like those who gathered in Charlottesville for the pro-white supremacist side. It doesn't mean that there aren't people out there who, you know, oppose and hate and think racism is awful. Of course they do. That's one of the main tenets of our society ever since. And in some ways, you know, overly so, people like me would argue through stuff like political correctness and things like that. But that's one of the, that's one of the driving forces of our society since the 1960s. Through varying degrees and things advancing and changing, most people would say, I understand not all, for the better every year. So... The struggle that a lot of people have is with these people who want to get up, like a Jimmy Fallon, for example, or a Jimmy Kimmel. There's that, ter- there's that word, Jimmy. See, that's why I don't go by Jimmy. I'm a James. But anyway, the, the Jimmys, and actually that's a term my buddy Doug uses for white people, so maybe I shouldn't even say that. Uh, the, the people named Jim, they're up there saying, you know, through teary eyes or, or really clenched fists or whatever, like, you know, these racists are awful and they got to pay. Well, look, who I got to understand, who is it that's out here saying that they're not bad or that what they're what they support isn't something we reject as a country? Of course, of course, they are saying that. But I mean, no, no one needs to stop and like pat you on the back for the fact that you're opposing, again, these 500 people that were in a a college town in Virginia in the middle of August. And, you know, then, of course, there's the secondary thing with um, uh, people tearing down, you know, Confederate. If you can hear that on the recording, that little, that noise. That's the noon alarm in uh, Stone Harbor, New Jersey. I don't know if that came through the recording or not, but... um, the tearing down of Confederate monuments or stuff. I mean, I don't know. I really don't care. I have a hard time motivating myself for caring about this. I think I've been pretty consistent with the whole Confederate thing that as much as I think I'm much more uh, 
sensitive and understanding and, and, and looking at things from a more nuanced historical perspective than most people would when it comes to the Civil War. And I think it was, you know, um, you know, it's a war uh, that was fought on, say, the Confederate side by mostly people who didn't own slaves and wanted to sort of defend, you know, their understanding of, of federalism or whatever. Um, of course, the power brokers wanted to keep slavery, and that really ultimately is a major and, and probably the defining legacy of what the Civil War really was. But that's it doesn't change, like, you know, the notion of who it was that was fighting for the Confederacy and just trying to look at things through a historical prism is a lot harder than just sort of placing your own eyes on something. But uh, tearing down a monuments and stuff, I, I've had a tough I have a tough time caring. And the reason why really is that putting up the Confederate flag or, you know, the, the uh, monuments. Look, this is a nation, if you want to call it that or whatever you want to look at it as, that rebelled against the United States of America. You know, they broke with the Union, the country that we know and love and the country that it is and the country that it became. It's, um, it's a painful memory. It's an important one. It's absolutely one that should be taught and, and really needs to be something that people learn and understand about and hopefully get curious about and learn even more. But I don't know that we need open monuments to what was a standing and bloody rebellion. I don't know. It's, it's always one of those things for me that I don't necessarily have a hard time I have a hard time sort of caring with the whole issue of now, look, I get what people say. And I think even the president has a point when he points out uh, that George Washington, you know, owned slaves. And isn't this a slippery slope? You know, what kind of statue are you going to tear down next? I get that. I do. I think that there's always that slippery slope stuff with a lot of what the left pursues. And I understand. But um, sort of like let's cross that bridge when we come to it, maybe. Because and actually, that's funny. I got to call my buddy Arturo because he always says I never criticize Trump for anything. I'm going to call him and say that he didn't have to go so far as to mention the, the George Washington thing, because let's cross that bridge when we come to it. The Confederate stuff, eh, you know, again, and, and that's with utmost respect to a person like Robert E. Lee, who was educated at West Point, was the you know, one of the best officers in his class, a guy who was asked by Abraham Lincoln, President Lincoln, to command the Union Army in the coming Civil War. This is a guy who just refused because back then, like, that's the thing we can't understand. Like, we can't really understand. I guess everybody likes to have, like, their their local pride. Like, yeah, I'm from Jersey, Taylor Ham, da 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 Like, you know, and people from New York and Massachusetts, you know, Connecticut, whatever. They're, they're proud of their state. But it's just, you know, it was different back in the 1800s. Your state was more like your country and the United States was kind of like this, you know, grouped thing. And think about it, right? It makes sense. There, there were the colonies and then, you know, for about 100 years or so, they'd been this loosely amalgamated, you know, like sort of, you know, grouping of states that was ultimately under a country. But, you know, it's just it's a totally different thing. That's part of the enduring legacy of the Civil War, that it sort of answered that question one and for all. Like, what are we? Just a grouping of states or are we a country? And sort of like from there, at least in my mind, the states became more like lines on a map. Of course, we still have that pride for whatever it is we're from. But, you know, Robert E. Lee couldn't leave his countrymen in Virginia. He couldn't fight against them. 
And I believe he actually opposed uh, slavery, too. Or maybe not that. I, I, that's fake news, and I apologize. He opposed secession. Robert E. Lee didn't want them to secede. But once they did and the gears of war were in motion, he said, I have to go fight for Virginia. So don't, don't get it twisted. That was fake news with the whole slavery thing. I have no idea how he felt about that. But he definitely wanted to um, not secede. So, you know, just the slippery slope stuff I get, but I don't know. The, the whole Confederate, it's interesting, though. I, I The Civil War is very important, and I think it should be talked about a lot more than it is in this country. And I think the fact that it was mostly white people dying on, you know, bloody fields and, and shooting at their fellow countrymen, again, although we sort of acknowledge that was a loosely defined thing at the time. Um, it, you know, it, there, there's no... There's no acknowledgement of, like, what the country has gone through in a way to accomplish what it has. And it's not so much that that's, like, sad or unfortunate or any of those terms that you could use. It's leaving out an important piece in terms of what makes this country what it is. To not sort of acknowledge that, look, a war was fought on this country, a very bloody and nasty one. To establish certain things, it was fought mostly by white people. And, you know, oh, that doesn't matter. You weren't, you weren't there. You didn't fight that. You didn't fight that war. And, and yet, you know, the enduring legacy of slavery is held up as something on their side. Not absolutely wrong, mind you, but just it underscores how convenient some of the stuff all is. Anyway, 500 white supremacists that that event in Charlottesville, 500. Uh, one guy, sadly and, and disgustingly, who murdered someone. If you want to call it terrorism, that's totally fine with me. A friend of mine that I was talking to on Facebook was sort of angry that it wouldn't be called or you know prosecuted as terrorism. If you want to call it that, I think that's fine. I, you know, Again, I sort of tend to immediately ascribe that term to the Islamist in this day and age. But you know, to the extent that you want to call that or, you know, the, the guy who sniped the police officers in Dallas during a Black Lives Matter thing, if you want to call that, you know, domestic terrorism or, you know, whatever. Again, I that's fine. I mean, I, I understand why you would <clears throat> excuse me, why you would call that such. All right. So this is flipping out radio. It's radio I'm going to pause this. I'm going to take a beverage out of the refrigerator and enjoy that while we do the second part of the show, which is going to be much less heavy and a, a lot more of like the grab bag variety. I've got some stuff about Rick and Morty. I've got some stuff about Goldberg from Mighty Duck. Tends to gravitate towards uh, Chicago. The Cubs gave Bartman a ring. And I have some thoughts on that. Uh, I definitely have some thoughts on that. And then there's a song that's very popular right now. No, not Despacito, although I can't stand that one either. But it's some song where the guy goes, um, like, tick, tuck, tick, tuck. So anyway, I, I'll let you know how I feel about that song in a minute. And uh, there's also this guy who's got a big-time government job in New York, and it's so great. It's so great how he outed him. He, it, it's awesome how he outed what a piece of crap he is. He outed himself for being a piece of crap, and it's absolutely awesome. And how he did it is great. So... He didn't mean to, in other words. So we'll do all that after this quick break on the Most American Podcast Ever Created. 
Radio Misfits Podcast Network. So we're back. Um, so, you know, I'm in Stone Harbor this week on vacation, staying with my parents and my brother <clears throat> at my parents, you know, beach house. It's, it's a condo down here in Stone Harbor, which is in Cape May, the southern part of New Jersey. It's actually on an island that also includes Avalon, New Jersey, if you've ever heard of that. Very close to Wildwood. Now we're probably mentioning places that people have heard of more uh, often. But... Um, Staying here with my parents. And, you know, when I grew up, when I was a kid in my, in my parents' house, we didn't really have soda. <clears throat> it's just not, it's really not my thing. It was never my brother's thing. My brother, I guess, is so, kind of somewhat more into soda. But I was never a big soda guy. But one thing that I'm definitely into that's like a bad drink for you, like it's very high in sugar, is Gatorade. I absolutely love Gatorade. But I never really have it. Like sometimes I'll get it from a convenience store because it's like a guilty pleasure type thing. But my mom, I guess in anticipation of this week or as much as anything, my brother probably also might have picked some of it up. Um, there's Gatorade in the fridge. And it's amazing. It's an, it's an amazing thing. I'm having a lemon-lime Gatorade right now. It's just, so, it's just so delicious. All right, so moving on to some of the items we have here today on uh, Flipping Out Radio, the most American podcast ever created. Uh... You know, I don't think we ever mentioned this, so I'm just going to sort of bring this up quickly. The, the president of China, they supposedly think that Winnie the Pooh kind of looks like him. <laughs> Xi Jinping, I believe the guy's name is, if I'm pronouncing it right at all. And they think he looks like Winnie the Pooh, so they censored Winnie the Pooh in China. I just think that's great. If that's true, I mean, again, we always have to issue the disclaimer unless that's fake news in, the, in this day and age. Um... All right, what does this say? Oh, yeah, so this was, a, this was a real joke. I said I wasn't going to do much political stuff, but I just want to get this out of the way. CNN had an article where they talked about how, like, you know, Trump's approach to um, the MS-13 gang on Long Island, and they had, like, a quote from a random um, an MS-13 anonymous source, like a gang member who, didn't, who was talking to this journalist because he knew the journalist wouldn't out him as one of his sources or whatever, um, said Trump's making it worse by how he's trying to crack down on MS-13. He's inspiring more people to join us. And it's just like, you know, you fucking asshole, CNN. Like, it's just like the terrorism argument. Oh, you're making it worse by, by chasing them down, by trying to stop them. You're only making it worse. Well, I mean, what do you expect these gang members to say, first of all, in terms of, like, the statement you're making for them? Please stop. Please stop Trump from, like, you know, coming after us. No, they're going to say, hey, by you coming at us, you're making it worse because they... They do want it to stop, but they have to make it sound like a tough, a tough guy thing in some way. And why are you giving some gang member a platform like that anyway? I mean, these are people that pray 
on the weak and the vulnerable. So your answer, CNN, or, or ostensibly this is what it would be, is don't go after them. Don't try to stop them. I mean, it's really, it's really just disgusting. So if you're a fan of Rick and Morty, you know that Morty, or sorry, Rick, Grandpa Rick, is um, a huge fan of McDonald's Szechuan sauce, which actually was a thing back in like the late 90s when that movie Milan came out, that Disney movie. They offered Szechuan sauce for uh, the chicken nuggets. So Rick, the character, is so into this sauce. Have you ever seen... If you've never seen this show, it's absolutely hilarious. If you've, if you've ever listened to this show and enjoyed it, my, my show, the podcast, you'll love Rick and Morty because it's it's dark, it's twisted, it's 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 humor, but it's just bad. You just you have to be sort of off as a person to enjoy it to a certain extent. So Rick and Morty is great. And um, Rick will go back in time and to like a different dimension because he has the ability to do that. He's a scientist. It's kind of like loosely based on it's like a dark interpretation of of um back to the future so rick the scientist is able to like go to different dimensions and back in time and he goes to where they have this szechuan sauce now mcdonald's as a response has reissued that sauce and i think in certain locations or whatever it may be you can go and get that sauce which i just think is great i think the fact that that show has that kind of an impact where people were like asking for it enough and they decided all right you know i guess we can make this again um so Goldberg from the Mighty Ducks movies, if you remember the guy Goldberg, who was the goalie, one of the goalies, he's going to jail, apparently, which I don't know. I just think that's really crazy. I mean, I I, I don't really even know much about what um, he did or, or why he's in trouble. But when I've heard when I figure if the extent to which I figured I'd hear about like one of the members of the Mighty Ducks, I figured I'd hear about like some new movie that was coming or something like that. Oh, God. Lemon Lime Gatorade is so good. So, Bartman getting a ring. I have to I have to say, um, you know, and Bartman, of course, is the guy. Steve Bartman. I couldn't think of his first name. Steve Bartman is the guy who had the, you know, semi... Um, the semi-shut-in look going on at that Cubs game with the... <laughs> With the headphones in and the hat and the Cubs jacket. Like, I mean, that guy, he's dead to the world, that guy. I mean, I don't know why. I mean, it's not a great situation, basically, when somebody like that is so close to the field because of what happened. Like, he had an impact on the game. You know, I'm sorry. I've talked about this on the show before. And I even went on a fellow uh, show, uh, the game show show and stuff with um, Anderson and Jazz. I told them, and they're Chicago guys, or, you know, Anderson's actually from New York, but he ended up in Chicago, um, that I really don't understand the whole sort of, like, willingness to absolve Bartman. And I, look, don't get me wrong. I don't mean, like, on a, on a human level that you shouldn't be willing to forgive somebody for something that they did, even much more awful, egregious things. But I've always maintained the guy should have been paying attention and shouldn't have interfere with that play and i understand moises alou's reaction made it even worse for this guy and of course you know don't get me wrong the fact that he was like harassed and couldn't leave the stadium and was like you know under physical the threat of physical harm and all that kind of stuff that's that's awful and and that's completely 
bad. But my point is, like, you know, the guy did kind of screw up there to a certain extent. So anyway, um, all's forgiven. Years later, Bartman really should be able to kind of, like, go to the ballpark and throw out a first pitch or um, have even some kind of a ceremony where, like, they kind of, you know, maybe dedicate that seat to him or something like that. Like, dedicate that seat to the Bartman seat and make that make that the Bartman corner or maybe the Bartman foul pole or something like that. Um but the fact that they gave him a be- a ring is pathetic on so so many levels. It's just like so over the top response to the whole situation. Like first of all, you you get a ring when you contribute to a World Series team or a championship team. Like you contribute to a championship team on some level. You're an executive, you're a coach, you're a player, whatever it may be. You don't get one for being a fan. And you certainly don't get one as like a pity prize for the fact that the fellow fan base was uh, bad to somebody. You give something befitting of the fan base. You know, have him sing, take me out to the ball game at Wrigley. Or, uh, you know, like I said, the dedication of a seat, like where he sat, maybe that'd be interesting. Or, um, you know, have him, uh, again, like I said, throw out a first pitch or whatever it may be. You don't give him a ring. Oh, I just thought that was so bad when I saw that. I really did. I really did. So Jerry Jones is now a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And he apparently had the longest speech. Uh, It was over a week ago when they did the Hall of Fame um, induction ceremony. But he had the longest speech of anybody. And this is on a night where LaDainian Tomlinson was inducted, Kurt Warner. uh, People really liked... Morton Anderson's um, induction speech. I think Jason Taylor might have been uh, one of the people that was inducted. So the fact that he had the longest speech, Jerry Jones, is really an embarrassment. Because first of all, this is a guy who definitely like kicked and stomped his feet. I want to be in the Hall of Fame. Because what did he do? Oh, he's a contributor to the game. He's a contrib- So he, he bought the Cowboys for cheap which is really what he did. He's a, he was a shrewd businessman who bought the Cowboys franchise before pro sports exploded into the force that it is. And so what did he do for the game exactly? Uh, hire players who were cokeheads and, and wife beaters? Meddle in team affairs and like make the team much worse than they had been uh, by, by firing you know Jimmy Johnson and being unwilling to work with him and stuff? Yeah, what a contributor to the game. The White House. Where, where, where would the game of football be without that period of time when the Cowboys were famous for their players going to the White House? And I don't mean, you know, on Pennsylvania Avenue. I mean the the whorehouse in Dallas. <laughs> Contributor to the game. It's great. It's really great. Okay, so I realize this. There's a certain word that. You can only say in certain contexts, but it feels really good to say it. Like, it's like soul cleansing. The word yay, it's it's one of those words. You'll only ever say yay if you're with, like, a significant other or your kids. It's it's probably the softest word ever. Like, the, the, the most pussy, I should say, word ever. Yay. Like, even when you use it in a mocking tone... You sound like a bitch. Oh, yay. Like when you're like sort of mocking, like it's like not something really that you want to do. 
But when you're like seriously enthusiastic about like something being like, you know, really it's going to be fun and you're just like, yay, that's it's, it's a good it, it, honestly, it's, it's going to be hard for you to admit it, but it, but it's hard. It, it feels good to like say when you're it, and it's, again, I think honestly, most of the time it would be like with a little kid or like with a nephew or, you know, if your child was like really happy about going to the boardwalk or Disney World or something like that. But it's it's one of the softest words of all time. And it's just one of those words. You don't use it probably as much as your as your soul would appreciate because it's so soft. Like you're never gonna say, "Oh, I got my fantasy football draft coming up!" Yay! It's just not a thing. The New York Post has this great article about this guy who's got a um. He's he, he works for the New York State Court System or something like that. He's uh. Let's see, what's this guy's name? This just came out today. It's hilarious. Uh, David Bookstaver. So anyway, David Bookstaver is a spokesman for the state court system. And he has a job, uh, 166000 a year. And he's also got a taxpayer-funded pension after he retires, which is coming up soon. He's only worked. That's what's so weird is the guy's actually only worked since 1996, but he's getting ready to retire. Why? How? Like, how is he getting ready to retire already? He looks like he's like 40 years old. So he said he claims that he barely ever shows up for work. So this guy is like the se- the um, subject of an investigative report by the New York Post because they're seeing kind of like how shady it is, I guess. So some of the things with this guy, how much money he makes and all this kind of stuff. They're investigating him. <clears throat> he called back the reporter that's doing an investigative piece. He butt-dialed him. He accidentally butt-dialed the reporter and starts talking about how he barely shows up for work. Yeah, he's got this $166,000 salary and this nice pension that he'll get soon because he's getting ready to retire. But he shows up to work as little as two days a week and all this stuff. And he left a four-minute voicemail while ch- talking to at least two other people about this. How great is that? Like, that's how you know that karma truly, truly exists. Because that's an example of it biting you back in a big, big way. And I'm pleased. I gotta say, I'm very pleased. Because there's few things that get my, you know, blood boiling more than, uh... Again, those, those awful mooches who work for the government like that. Not to say that they're all bad. Again, that's a big that's a big problem these days. Everybody's saying that just because you say this one situation is true some of the time, that it's always true all the time. That's not what I'm saying. But those people that take advantage of the government, that's that's tough to take. So, anyway, um, I will talk to you guys soon. I appreciate you joining us for Garden State Radio. Actually, you know what? Let's let's do this before we go. Let's do this before we go. Hold on, hold on. John of Sweden, one of our great listeners, in many ways our great listener, has put together for us in the past, and uh, there's a game that we never got to, a trivia game of flipping out radio, Garden State Radio moments with different people that have been involved with the show. So I'm not going to go through it all right now, because obviously I'm by myself, and I want to be able to ask questions of the people involved and see if they remember this. But I'm just going to take the first question he put together in part five, and see if I remember uh, the moment that he was talking about. So what he says is, John of Sweden, on the 25th of January, 2014, Appleseed said he had to think about having this in his mouth, otherwise he would swallow it. Was it fluorine mouthwash, gum, 
saliva or aspirin? Well, he says it was gum. And I think I would have gotten that. I think I, and I think I sort of remember that. I sort of remember that moment. The 25th of January, 2014. Uh, interesting. I wouldn't have thought that Appleseed would be on a show that late into the, into the game. So, all right. Well, anyway, my parents are coming back from the beach. And uh, I'm getting ready to wrap up my podcast here. So, uh, I will join you guys soon on another episode of the most American podcast ever created. Presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Oh, here's your lesson. The most American podcast ever created. Whether they're members of Black Lives Matter or Antifa or whatever it may be, there are plenty of people in these. Some people use the term alt left. You could say far left. There are plenty of people in these openly leftist groups who are very nasty and hateful and advance things that are very similar to stuff in the white nationalist group, just with certain things reversed. And people don't want to hear that. They don't want to acknowledge sort of like the the nasty aspect of what is known as, again, Antifa or, again, other aspects of Black Lives Matter. And it doesn't mean that there aren't people who would gladly take up protesting arms or whatever it may be against people like those who gathered in Charlottesville for the pro-white supremacist side. Black dude declared the roughest time is over. This has been a Flippin' Out Radio production. The proceeding was a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Find our other great shows on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at radiomisfits.com. Thank you.